it's about 20 after. I think some others will probably trickle in here in a moment. Um, we could we could start off with a, a bit of review. Um, we are teaching this fall through a, uh, um, a study done by our book written and turned into a, a study by Mark Dever uh, called Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. And uh, we are teaching tonight on the, the first mark. Last week you actually got the second mark. Uh, I had to... I had to phone a friend, I guess you might say, to get Art to come in and, and uh, slide in last week for me because I got called out, called away. So I was grateful for that. Um, so I, I want to take a moment to put a to give a plug here. I, uh, so this is the second time I've stood before my church in some degree this week teaching. Um, Sunday night I was facilitating a discussion and teaching through uh, Romans 10 and some from Romans 9 in, a, in our home group. And I'm, I'm going to tell you, if you're not involved in a home group, which, which comes out of our, our Sunday morning Bible study, uh, I, I just want to encourage you that, that you'd be encouraged and, uh, and built up by being a part of that. So... Uh, I always am. All right. Uh, so tonight, um, can you can you guess what the most important mark is? Let me give you let me let me give you all nine of them real quick, and then and then uh, and then I'll poll and see what you think. So so mark one expository preaching, two is biblical theology, three is biblical understanding of the gospel. Then biblical understanding of conversion. Five is biblical understanding of evangelism and church membership, church discipline, discipleship, and church leadership. Of those nine, where would you say we if, if there's one in there that if there's only one we can get right? Which one do you think it is? Gospel, what'd you say, Marty? Expository preaching? Discipleship, leadership. I'm not I'm not I'm not surprised to hear our to hear you start listing all of them back to me. Because <laughs> they're all pretty important, aren't they? Uh, they all they all made made uh, this particular book, so they, they and, and we've we've chosen it. Um, so so uh, uh, I Mark Dever in, uh, in the book says that he claims that expository preaching is the most important of the nine marks. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show my hand and I'm going to say I, I agree with him. And, uh, and then, and then I'm going to let you, I'm gonna let you uh, listen and, 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 and participate here. And then, uh, and then, and then we'll, see, we'll see where we land as we, as we move along. Okay, uh, why don't we pray? Father, thank you for gathering us together here tonight. God, thank you for uh, the provision of your church for us to meet with and to be a part of and uh, to grow up in. Father, I thank you for uh, your
your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, I do ask that as we talk tonight that you would, uh, um, that you would give us a bigger view of your word. Lord, your word is where we learn about you. Uh, it's where we learn about your son. So, Father, I pray that, um, that you would lead us into the night with a strong attention towards uh, the things that are important from your word tonight. Lord, we ask that you would grow us and lead us tonight. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so, all marks, all of the other marks spring from this mark. And uh, uh, so, so, why don't we, what is it? Why don't we define it? And, uh, and oftentimes, it's Expository preaching is defined in relation to another type of preaching. Um, somebody venture to guess. Yeah, that's it, Blake. It's in it's re, it's in relation to uh, topical preaching. Um, is 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 how and the reason it's explained like that is because most of us are exposed to topical preaching on a regular basis. Many, many churches, uh, their their preaching ministry. Is is done in, on a topical basis. So, so let, let's 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 kind of divide the two a little bit. Uh, and and uh, with topical preaching, uh, the subject drives the sermon. In, exposi- in expository preaching, the text drives the sermon. When I say text, I mean the Bible, the Word of God. It drives it drives the subject. Um, and then in topical, the text is selected to speak. To the subject, Expo- expository preaching, the subject rises from the pages of the text. Topical, the preacher already knows what he wants to say, and therefore uh, he goes to the Bible and pulls from the Word of God what what shores up what he already has an idea that he wants to say. Um, this this book, this this uh, study that we're doing on Wednesday nights, that that stems from a topical. A series, a series of topical sermons. Um, so, so topical. I, so, as we as we compare these two, don't don't hear that topical has no place. That's correct. A topical sermon can be an expository sermon. Okay, uh, you can you can take a topic and then and then find in the word that topic and and, and explain or teach those scriptures, and so it can be done in an expository way. Um, some, would, some would claim that topical is better maybe because it's more relevant. You can, you can bring what's relevant to the people uh, on a Sunday morning. Maybe, what, what would you, do you have an argument, or what would you say to somebody that says um, topical is better because it's, Relevant, may, may, and maybe you agree. Maybe you say, "Well, it is."
understand you have something. So y'all are explaining some dangers. I love this. Y'all are, y'all are giving some, some maybe some dangers of, of, a, of, of depending or relying upon a, uh, uh, that style of preaching. Um, so Tina just said that, that uh, the preacher's agenda may be masked within the sermon and, and, and not known. So, so maybe you could say the, uh, the opposite of that, or um, you could say that expository preaching... Not, not that you remove all agenda of man all the time, but, but with expository preaching, you go where the text takes you and not where the preacher wants to take you. Is that... So, so all of the Bible points us towards Christ, and therefore, that goes back to the question I asked a while ago about relevance. Uh, which one preaches in a more relevant way? Some would claim it's topical. Some would claim it'd be expository. Uh, which, parts of, uh, which parts of God's Word aren't relevant to us? So, yeah. So all of God's word is relevant to all of God's people, all of the time, right? And so, so, so we we do want preaching that is that is transparent, in that um, it's not driven by the agenda of the pastor, the preacher. It's driven by the text and what what God's agenda is in the text. So. Uh, yeah, Tina said that, that topical tends to be uh, more watered down, and, and by watered down, I'm guessing you mean that, that, it, that it has less of God's Word in it. Okay, heavy. So heavy, heavy application. I, uh, I, I might would add a little bit to, to heavy application. I might would say heavy towards, uh, heavy towards towards changing a behavior. And and maybe maybe more heavy in changing behavior than changing a heart. Uh, it is is a lot oftentimes where topical can go. But I'm, again. There are there are places for topical sermons, and so I'm not I'm not throwing this out. I'm what I'm saying is there are dangers, and so uh, so let, let, let me let me give you a little. Let's expound a little bit on the definition of of expository preaching. It's it's not a it's not a verbal commentary. It's not just getting up and 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 just reading a commentary of God's word. It's it's it it's it's taking the point 
of a particular passage of Scripture and making the point of the sermon what the point of that passage is. Um, it's the preacher opening the word. Uh, Mark Dever says it's the preacher opens the word and unfolds it for the people. It is reading God's word, exposing God's people to it, and teaching it and expounding upon it. Uh, it there is a presumption here. It presumes that the preacher and the congregation believe in the authority of God's word. Uh, it, it presumes that they are committed to hearing from God's word and presumes that they are committed to submit and apply God's word. So, um, and the last thing I'd kind of say about that is, as far as a definition, is the preacher's authority begins and ends with the word of God. He has no more authority than, than what he holds in his hands in, in the Bible. So, um, how about location in the Bible? Is, is, is scripture, wh- where it comes from, is, is oftentimes as, as important as what it says. Uh, because where it comes from in the Bible often tells us more about what it says. And so, uh, so, the lo- so topical preaching will s- often skip over uh, con- uh, the context and where it's at. So uh, uh, the book says you, you understand a passage fully when you understand it in the place it's written. Uh, so, um, and here's the last thing. This is, these are just kind of introductory, uh, what is it? And, uh, and then I want to go, I want to I I talk a little bit about the role of God's word. Uh, in preaching and and within the church here, so uh, so the last thing I would say is, with a commitment to expository preaching, uh, there's there's surprise uh, when you when you teach through a passage, God, when you teach through a passage of Scripture, are you not often surprised about some of the topics you might run through when you take a book? And, and teach through it verse by verse, and we're not, we're not skipping anything. We're just going to, as, as God yields time to us to move through this, this is what we're going to talk about. You often find yourselves challenged and surprised about what you encounter. So um, be, be ready for that. That's what a commitment to this brings. So, uh, by the way, that's the Christian life, isn't it? As we, when you were, do what? Surprised at where we're at? No, no. Think, think about, think about your conversion. Think about your conversion when you were, when you, when you were born again. You were surprised, weren't you? You were challenged by the gospel. You heard the gospel. You, the gospel told you that you were a sinner and who Jesus Christ is, and 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 death and burial and resurrection and and. And you believed, and and then you you were surprised because you didn't know. You didn't you didn't see you didn't understand that you were a sinner, and so so you were surprised and and at at what the Bible told you about yourself and told you about who God is, and then and then as as you as you are sanctified as you walk with God, isn't there not just a daily occurrence of surprises? In sanctification, 
You're surprised at what God challenges you with. You're surprised at the situations that show up. And, 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 and I, I have often, as I was, especially as I was a little younger, uh, often thought that, that I was going to get to a point of just kind of equilibrium in life, and, and, and that's the way it would be for a really long time. It never comes. That never comes. There are constant challenges. There's co- life is constantly changing, and God is using these things in life, these circumstances, uh, to, through his word, grow me. And so, uh, so there's the surprise in that. Um, so so why, why expository preaching? Why, what is, why is it so important that we would march through God's word in this manner, that we would... Uh, uh, that we would leave it as central within uh, within the church and within within preaching. Well, here's the first reason: because the role of God's the role of God's word in bringing life about. How did how did God create life? He spoke it when He created the universe. Did he get out the big toolbox that says God on it, do not touch, and, and, and hammer and nails and, and dirt and started? He didn't do that. What did he do? Did he poll the rest of the Trinity to figure out how we were going to do this? He just spoke it. He spoke it from nothing, and it existed. And, and how was life? given to man that's right it's exactly right God breathed life into man and uh, and it was good I mean it was very good and so uh, but then then just a couple chapters later Genesis chapter 3 the fall occurs and God steps in again doesn't he man uh, man is told not to do something given a he's given a command one one command just just one one fence one boundary that everything else is wide open just one thing and 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 the one thing is the thing that we go after and uh and what happens adam and eve realize they're naked and they're ashamed and and there's guilt and God steps in in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. Listen to this. He will crush your head. He will crush your head and, will stri- and, you, and you will strike his heel. Do you see that as a promise? When you hear that, do you do you hear and that is you hear the first gospel presentation? That God promises something here. Uh, he says, He says that I'm gonna do something. Now, how does he bring about this hope and this promise? He speaks it. He speaks hope. Genesis twelve. So we get we get uh no, I've been, I've been, 
I spent last week reading about Noah, my quiet time, and uh, um, really just fascinated with how quick man goes downhill, how quick man goes off the rails, and uh, and then and then then really impressed upon with Noah's faithfulness and why God counted Noah as righteous and then and then a read after after the Noah and this this horrific flood where everything that God breathed life into except for Noah and his family and these few that make it on this boat are wiped off the face of the earth horrifying God saves a few he brings these few through the through these waters of his wrath and and then and then after that we like okay I didn't know any better. I'd think, okay, there's not, there's a happily ever after after that. There's there's not a happily ever after right at the end of the story of Noah, is there? What comes after Noah is this the Tower of Babel. Man thinks he can reach God on his own without God's help, and uh, um, and so God God steps in again in chapter twelve of, of Genesis, and God God says uh, he. He creates a people for himself. And so, so where am I going with all of this? Uh, it's God, God creates life. He brings about life by his word. And then, and then he, he, by his word, he created a people for himself. And so in Genesis 12, he, he calls Abraham from Ur of the Chaldeans. And, uh, um, and in, in four verses, he sets apart a people for himself. He says, he says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God creates a people for himself, and, uh, and they go and, and, and begin to grow, and, and the people the nation is beginning to grow in numbers. And then, then we read that they, they fall into slavery in Egypt, and um, God steps in again. And he reaches out to, to, to Moses through this burning bush. And uh, um, don't, don't, let your, don't let the burning bush take your eyes off what is important. Is it the burning bush? Or is, or is it that God speaks to his people? What's important about that story? Let's not get sidetracked. God spoke to Moses. And, uh, and not he, often. Moses came back. And, and, uh, uh, and then God leads his people out of, out of slavery. And then in uh, chapter 20, God gives his people his, his law by, again, just through word. He gives his word. And, uh, and the people became God's people by accepting God's word and believing it. And uh, so did you know that the, word of the, that the phrase, the word of the Lord, came? Can anybody want to guess how often that is said in the Old Testament? Give me a guess. Sure, I mean it's just a number. 
256. We got, we, got, we got one on the table here. Anybody else want to try? 3,000? That's a good guess right there. I'm, I'm wondering if the person next to you didn't give you a hint. <laughs> that that <laughs> three thousand eight hundred. It's more than three thousand eight hundred times. So in some some variation of of uh, the word of the Lord came. It occurs more than thirty eight hundred times. Uh, does that surprise you? I, I was surprised by that. I mean, I was I was thinking like like her like like two or three hundred times. You know, if, if somebody asked me, I'd have, that that's where I would have been. Just a few hundred times, which is a bunch, right? That's a lot of times. But well, do what? exactly right so uh um so god spoke to his people and he is he he breathed life into his people by his word he established his people by his word and he keeps his people by his word so uh um and 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 we we are his people because we believe and so there's faith that comes from by hearing his word god is God is to be the object of our faith. We believe in his word because we believe in him. Uh, I, like, I like the statement that uh, Dever writes in his book. His word is to be trusted and relied upon with all the faith that we would invest in God himself. So do, do you see that the word of God is central as an instrument in creating faith? His word is to be trusted and relied upon with all the faith that we would invest in God himself. That's, that in itself could be a little challenging for some. I, I trust God. I believe in God. Oh, but that part right there, I don't know about that. Eleven six, I believe. Yeah. So uh, uh, the word the word shows us what we were to believe. Uh, it, there is a uh, he makes this analogy in the book that 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 we as Christians uh, that he he says that the speed of sound is greater than the speed of light for Christians. Of course, we we all of us that that have elementary science. Remember that, hey, the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. You know, we see things before we hear them. Uh, and uh, and, and we, we see the ball hit the bat before we hear the crack. And, uh, but, but as Christians, we often, we hear God's word before we see what hap- what's going to happen. And, uh, and we, so, so as Christians, the speed of sound is faster than the speed of light. Um, so I, I, liked, I liked this, this example that he used to, to show 
show how God breathes life into his people. Uh, if you would, take your Bible out and, and turn to Ezekiel 37. Start in verse 1. Uh, yes, Ezekiel 37. It says, The hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. Now, this is what Ezekiel says about God. He says, Ezekiel says that he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley, and it was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them. Now, just for a moment, picture that. A valley full of bones. Now, first off, I'm just a little messed up by that. Uh, but, but then it says, He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many of bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, Sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you, and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you, and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And, I was, and as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. But by the way, when bones rattle in a valley, I'm, I'm going to be tempted to run. <laughs> rattling sound. And the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked. And tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. You remember, you remember the, uh, the illustration that, that uh, Josh used Sunday about spiritual death? Look, there's no pulse. There's no life. It's like these bones. There's nothing left. In fact, it's... You know, Ezekiel goes, goes further in the illustration. It's all of the flesh is gone. All of the tendons are gone. All of the, it's just dusty, dry bones. That is, that is our condition. Look what he says. Um, I forgot where I was. Then he said to me, verse 9, then he said to me, prophesy, prophesy to the breath, prophesy son of man and say to it this is what the sovereign lord says come breath from the four winds and breathe into these slain that they may live so i prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them they came to life and stood up on their feet a vast army wow what what all i can say is just what is this God is so good, because then he interprets what just happened. Verse 11, then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. They say, 
Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up for them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live. And I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I am the Lord, that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. So, how does God put life back into these dry bones? speaks he put he, he puts his spirit within them he just he breathes life back where there was no life there's a just constantly through God's word there's this relationship between speaking and and breath and spirit and and word they, they just they run together often and so uh, um, Jesus, I mean, Jesus healed a deaf man. Do you remember how he healed him? How did Jesus heal the deaf man? With his word. He spoke to him. Now, that's amazing. He spoke to the deaf man, and the deaf man was healed. And so... Uh, um, I, like, I like this quote from the book. Christians know that in and of, of ourselves, we are spiritually dead and that we need God to initiate his life in us. We need him to reach down and rip out our old stony hearts and put in us new fleshy hearts of love toward him. Hearts that are soft, compliant to his word. So uh, uh, what's the supreme picture of God's word bringing life? What is the supreme picture of God's word bringing life? Anybody want to venture? Step out there on a ledge? Say again. I, I hear some. Nobody wants to. Nobody wants to firm up. Trent, what, supreme picture in the Bible. Where, where, immediately, where does your mind go? Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. And what, what does it say? That's exactly right. Beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh. Jesus Christ is the supreme picture of God's Word bringing about life. But as I, as I stand before you and try to talk about this subject, I must confess there's a, a component of this that I don't think that I fully grasp. 
how to relate, how all of these things relate to each other. Um, to understand that, that the Word became flesh. Yeah. In Christ, the Word has fully come to us. It's complete. Uh, so Jesus, um, Jesus models the importance of preaching in His ministry. When Jesus sought out for miracles, when Jesus was sought out for miracles, does anybody remember what he did? He turned around and just start start producing miracles like a miracle factory. He he told the disciples, he said, Let us go somewhere else so I can preach there also. His primary purpose when he came was to lay his life down. But first taught he taught so that once he did lay his life down people could understand why now why is that important because it tells us that god teaches us so that we will understand salvation he he when god acts god acts then he speaks he explains what, what he's doing, uh, like, like Ezekiel a while ago. He gives Ezekiel a message, and, uh, uh, and then he comes back and tells him what's going on there. He says, these dry bones are Israel. And uh, so uh, we're, we're desperate to hear from God. We are those dry bones. We were those dry bones. desperate to hear from God uh, we remain in a condition that is desperate to continue to hear from God we need God's word uh, so either he speaks and this is another quote from Zeb either he speaks or we for or we are forever lost in the darkness of our own speculations so we we would not know God if he did not speak to us. That statement in and of itself. If you don't get anything else as to why is this important? Why is, this, why, is, why is the word being central to the preaching ministry and to our church, to any church? Why is it so important? Because if God... God didn't speak to us, we wouldn't know him. So all we would have is speculation. So, uh, uh, by the way, that's the point of the Bible, that God would reveal himself to us and that we, we could know him. Um, all right. You know, there's... Just as a concluding statement on, on, on this God creating a people with his word. There are other ways to, that we can manufacture a group of people. Um, do, do you know what I mean when I say that we can manufacture a group of people? What are some ways that man groups people together? That, that, what, are, what are ways that man creates groups of people? Okay, 
culture or ethnicity, politics, yep, yep, okay, yes ma'am, say it again, churches, okay, what did you say, occupation, yeah, yeah, people gather together by what they do, uh, Think, think in terms of churches, what, it, what are churches prone to? And, and, and when I say churches, I mean, we, we are prone to this as well. What are some ways that churches are prone to uh, creating groups of people? Music, yeah. Whether, whether it's traditional music or, uh, uh, or, or a more modern type music. Uh, denomination, or maybe the lack thereof. Okay, how about community service projects? Maybe it's, maybe it's a group of people just built around uh, young moms or around a men's group. Um, how about this one? A pastor's personality. We're all in danger of gravitating towards a particular personality, aren't we? And, uh, um, and so... so we, we need to be, we, a church must be, can only be created around the word of God. We need to be careful that, that our church is created around God's word. And so, so preaching God's word is important to maintaining that and, 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 and being committed to that. So speaking of preaching, what's the role of God's word in preaching? Uh, what, what is the standard for deciding what should be done in the congregation. How do you That's a that's a that's a bit of a loaded question, isn't it? What is the standard for deciding what should be done in a congregation? That's an example. So the order of worship, how how a uh, which is which is you know, in a worship service on Sunday morning, what is, you know, what, what is the order? Should the offering come at the beginning? Should we do a greeting up front? Should we, you know, when is the preaching? Is it, is it three songs? Is it two? Is, it, is there a song afterwards? Okay, that's, that's one example. But Okay. Yeah. That's ultimately where I'm going. Uh, God's word sets the standard. And God. Yeah. That's right. So so the leadership uh, should be should be so committed along with the con- the leadership and the congregation should be committed to the centrali- centrality of God's word within the church such that they would be committed to using God's word to deal with all issues within the church. Now, there is a particular, there is a particular verse in 1 Corinthians. Um, Paul teaches uh, what a Christian gathering should look like um, and gives some guidelines in chapters 11 through 14, but, but verse 26 of chapter 14 is kind of a summarization, and it, and it says this, let all things, and I'm just giving you the second half of the verse, let all things be done for building up. What is... What is edifying the church? What builds the church up? And that's, that's the, the, the gold standard for what 
what we should do. Yeah, for people. So, uh, um, so then comes the question, because then you ask this question about all kinds of things that you do. What, what edifies, what is most edifying for the body in, in, in how we deal with finances and how we deal with, with, with other stuff that happens in the church? But for tonight, what is most edifying for preaching? most edifying preaching for a church is the preaching that most exposes God's word to God's people. And so, uh, um, remember the mark of a righteous man from Psalm 1? His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. If God's word is to be the delight of every Christian, it is to be the focus of every preacher. Say that again. If God's word is to be the delight of every Christian, and God's word is to be the focus of every preacher and every sermon. So uh, this type of preaching is patterned throughout the Bible. Moses taught the people. I'm not going to spend much time here. There are multiple examples throughout the word. Uh, Moses uh, taught... people the word of God you know when he when he come down off the mountain with the with God's law he taught God's people God's law um, when uh, in Nehemiah 8 8 where Ezra read from the book of the law clearly and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading so the people needed to hear from God's word and and uh so, so a sermon is, is preached. God's word is taught. And, uh, and you'll remember from our, our Sunday morning series in Ezra and Nehemiah that people responded in a big way. So uh, uh, our church, God's people need to hear from God's word from the preacher. Um, So God's word is, is crucial to being sent to being the central part of a preaching ministry, and uh, one of the reasons for that is is God's word is crucial to our sanctification. So without without God's word, we're destined to stand still in our knowledge of the Lord. Um, what I mean by that, so if everything I knew about God ended the day that I was saved. Think about that. Everything that you know about God or ever will know about God for the rest of your life ends the day that you are saved. What does that does that does that sadden you if that happens? Does that bother you as a as a as a Christian to think that uh, that somehow everything I'm going to ever know about God ends at salvation. That's not true, by the way. I'm not making that statement as a statement that I believe is true. I, I'm making it a statement as that that is a. It's 
It is scary. It's, there, there are many that are attempting to live in this way. God never intended to save us and leave us in that moment. It is the beginning. It is the beginning. So, so, so if salvation is the beginning of the Christian walk, what is the walk? What is, what, it, it is the, the, the biblical term is sanctification. Uh, so we're being sanctified. How? So God doesn't leave us in that, in that, in that position. God does uh, walk us and make, and, and through this Christian life and make us more like his son, Jesus Christ. And my question to you is how? Through his word. Through his word. Um, without it, we are destined to stand still. This, uh, this will lead to, uh, it leads, with, without it, we, we are left uh, in our sin, in our guilt, and uh, in our wrong thinking about a lot of things. Uh, as we read God's word, we're challenged to think of God in new ways, aren't we? Uh, we are challenged, under, challenged by understanding him in different ways. And uh, um, so, so we're, we, we learn about God by reading his word, and therefore uh, we are changed by his word. Um, so Jesus quoted to Satan, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. So God creates, God moves, he renews, he saves, he cleanses, and he keeps his people by his word. Second Chronicles 34, um, King Josiah discovered God's word and he responded by tearing his clothes in repentance. And then he read it to the people. John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Jesus prayed, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And then Ephesians 5, 25, 27. Paul said, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How, do, you, do you see how, how Christ makes his church holy and without blemish? By the washing of water with the word. We should long to want to be cleansed. We need cleansing. And Christ desires to present to himself the church without spot or wrinkle. And he does so by cleansing us with the word. So uh, um, the other thing that God's word does to us in sanctification is it, it's, it challenges us with our sin. 
It causes us to see ourselves as sinful. It exposes our sinfulness to us. And so, uh, uh, and so we see our sin and, and we're called to repent. And it's, it's not just that simple, is it? I mean, in a way it is that simple. I mean, God, God shows us through his word an area where we're sinful. But, but there's other things. There, earlier tonight I brought up an example of, of, uh, of situations that, that challenge us. Um, I, I'm an, I've, got a, I've got a customer right now that is very difficult. Very difficult. And, and I have been challenged how to deal with him in a way that honors God. Now, it's not always as simple as repenting of sin. It is, what do I do now that I know where I'm prone to go? Because what I want to do is I want to tell the guy off. I want to tell the guy where to put it. And if I'm in God's word, I recognize that is not Christ-likeness. God never told anybody where to put it. Jesus never told anybody off. God's desire was that he would create for himself a people that loved him. He sent his son to save us even though we were his enemy. And he continues to teach us and we're exposed to that and we're challenged by his word. When we, when we encounter situations that are difficult, uh, like raising kids, Sometimes we're sometimes we get an autopilot and we raise kids the same way that we were raised, right? It's, we just we just automatically kind of gravitate back there, and sometimes that's a great way. Maybe there's maybe there's something very biblical in, in the way that you were raised in some areas, and then there's some ways that there's some things that are not. And so I'm challenged, and I'm molded, and I'm shaped by God's word to to raise my kids in a godly way. So. We find ourselves in all kinds of situations where, where we need God's word so that we can be molded and shaped uh, and sanctified by God's word and, and, and to be made more like Christ. But it's not, it's not yes, yes, he exposes us to our sin, and yes, uh, we're constantly molded, being molded and shaped. Um, so, so lastly, what is, what is the role of the preacher in God's word? Turns out the answer to this is is maybe maybe more crucial than you might have first thought. It's more important. I don't know what's going on right there, but <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what is the role of the preacher in God's word? The preacher of God's word, not in God's word. But what is the role of the preacher of God's word? Uh, it, it's it's crucial. It's more important than you know, when you when, when you think about a church. When you look at, if you're looking at joining a church, it is. That's maybe the most important question you can ask. 
more important than the friendliness of the people, more important than the music, more important than the, than, than the programs and, and everything else. The role the preacher has represents the congregation's commitment to the centrality of the word of God in that church. And so uh, uh, this is not what we need. This is, a, uh, this is from a book called Dining with the Devil. It's written by O.S. Uh, Guinness. And, it's, and here's the quote. The preacher, instead of looking out upon the world, looks out upon public opinion, trying to find out what the public would like to hear. Then he tries his best to duplicate that and bring his finished product into the marketplace in which others are trying to do the same. The public, turning to our church culture, to find out about the world discovers there is nothing but its own reflection. Is that the role of a pastor? Is that the role of the preacher? To look upon public opinion? To find out what the public would like to hear? It's, I know all of you are saying no. You're screaming. I mean, I, I see your faces, but, but you... You're screaming, no way. It's not polls. We don't, we don't need polls. We don't need, we don't need to be taught about moral excellence. We don't need history lessons. We don't need social commentaries. We need, we need God's word taught, preached. We're fallen, and we're masters at manipulating the events around us to justify our sin. We need to be confronted with the truth regularly. Second Timothy told, in 2 in, in Timothy, Paul told Timothy, preach the word. It's just real simple. Preach the word. No, no special committees, no or programs, gave him real simple advice. Just preach the word. Acts 6, um, Acts 6, the office of the deacon within the church is created, or, or I say created, I mean, it was, it's the first place we see it. I think, I think foundationally we see what the deacon does there. And so, uh, um, but does anybody remember why? May remember why the office of the deacon was created. Okay, so that so that was the specific incident that they were dealing with in that moment. But but what was the reason that was given uh, that that the elders should and and the and the do what? So, so, I'm, okay. so it wasn't it wasn't to say that the that that the conflict wasn't important. It was to say that is important, and we do need to deal with that. But the teaching ministry here is more important. We can't neglect the teaching ministry to deal with the conflict, but the conflict needs to be dealt with. It needs, because we, because there will be conflict, 
always going to be conflict amongst us. And, and I do understand what you mean when you say that because he does, he does feel like that. Yeah, you're fine. You're just fine. <laughs> so, so, uh, um, so within God's word, we see this office created to deal with issues that are that are within the church that are that are important, but they're 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 at best secondary to the teaching ministry. Teaching of God's word is more important, uh, is, is most important, because what happens if the teaching is neglected to deal with all of that? Those problems are eventually going to be neglected anyways because we're going to start dealing with them in a way that is not honoring to Christ, in a way that doesn't line up with his word. And, and eventually we'll run off the rails and we won't be edifying We'll deal with things in a way that's not edifying to the church. It doesn't build up. So, so we need the word of God preached. We are fallen. Um, and, uh, and the Bible points out that within the early church that the teaching ministry was, was, was most important. Um, is it archaic? Is it somewhat archaic for, I mean, is there a better way? And just one man standing there, monologue to the people, no, no conversation or dialogue back and forth. I, I've, seen, I've seen preachers and listened to preachers that, 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 that were good at, at getting um, verbal and nonverbal uh, communication back as he was preaching. Uh, but is it archaic? Is that sty- Is this a style thing that's just it's just outdated and 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 we just don't really need to do it that way because it doesn't really fit our culture anymore. What do you What do you think? No, I'm staying the way that we preach. You know, like right now we're right now. There's it's mostly me talking tonight, and but but we we've had some conversations, some back and forth. But but on a Sunday morning when when uh, when preaching happens in a in the service, it's a it's pretty much one person. Say that again, Blake. Okay. Okay, I like where you're going there because uh, because what you're saying is is that this is the one standing in the place of God. So there's practical things there. 
Um, and, and I do like that, that you end up you end up losing that sense that, that Blake was, was saying where, where you have somebody standing, uh, and, and don't go too far with this, but in the place of God um, and giving us God's word as we contribute nothing except to listening and heeding. To listen to it and to heed it. I, there's some... There's some, there's some uh, there's a visual picture there in, in how we receive God's word. There's, we don't add anything to it. Nothing we've said here tonight adds to God's word. In fact, my prayer for what we've done here tonight would, 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 is that, that we are, are, our view of God's word and how God's word is, is taught and preached within this, this church, that that view would be a bigger view, that we would, we would be more convinced that this is central to the ministry here at Rocky Point. Um, so, <clears throat> someday, someday sermons will be unnecessary. You know that? It'll be that day when faith, when faith will give way to sight. We'll be like Him because we'll be with Him. At that moment, we won't need a sermon we will be with him. We will see him. And, uh, but for now, we rely on God's word. And uh, so, uh, the preaching of the word must be central. Let a, uh, let a good expositional ministry be established and watch what happens. This is a quote from the book. Forget what the experts say. Watch hungry people have their lives transformed as the living God speaks to them through the power of his word. 1 Corinthians one twenty one says, For since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. If we preach the word, it will be right. It will feed the people what they need the most. And so... What should we do? What should we as a congregation do? Well, one, we need to pray for our pastors. We need to pray for the men that get up and preach to us. And then, second, we should be thankful for faithful pastors who preach God's word to God's people. So, I want to ask you a question. And uh, we only have a couple minutes left, but but it just just as a as a check, how are? I, and I don't mean this, Edward sitting over here. I I don't mean this as a grade. How are we as a congregation doing on this mark? And 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 here's here's how I here's how I want us to evaluate that question. Um, it is, do we value, do we value expository preaching? Um, and, and, and we do need to evaluate on the basis of, are we receiving, are we, is, is our church, is it experiencing uh, 
preaching that has the word of God at, at its core. How are we doing? what you've heard that huh interesting I've not heard that how are we doing as a congregation do you value do you, do you you value this style or this Yeah, so, so Scott's exactly right. When he, he says when he travels and is going to be away from here on the weekend looking for a church, he looks for a church that, uh, that preaches expositorily. What, uh, uh, that's hard. That's, that's hard sometimes because, because not it, it, without going and, and listening, it's hard to know that that's actually happening. ask you, have you always valued it, Sharon?
you know, there's, there's, I, it's, Tina mentioned early on that uh, um, there's, there's a lot of agendas in pulpits that aren't just God's agenda. Just, and, and I would say these days, but, but, but for a long time. And, uh, um, and that expository, a, a preaching ministry that is, that is committed to teaching God's word in, in this manner. It tends to clear out the agenda. And also it does something for the congregation. The congregation is, is more trusting as they come and sit and listen that they can see. They can see what's being taught. It's right here in front of us. And, and, and when something is said that doesn't fit, we, we have the opportunity uh, to, to see it and to hear it and, and, uh, uh, and, to, and to say something. But because of that, there is a level of, of transparency and, and, and honesty there that, uh, that we're going to receive the truth. Final thoughts as we close. Okay. Father, thank you for once again assembling us. Father, thank you for your word. And would you grow our would you grow our commitment to your word? Would you make would you would you cause each one of us to in an increasing way, make your word more central to the way that we live our life and the way that, uh, the way that we see the world around us, Father. Lord, would you, as healthy as we may think we are, Father, would you show us in ways where we're not? Would you expose us? Lord, as we read your word and as we study it, Father, I pray that uh, um, 
that we as a church would not ever neglect this mark. Father, would you would you would you convict us if we do and if we are. Lord, we thank you for your word that you've spoken to us, that you've um, given us your son. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.